we have parts of the conference finals that have been decided, except for one, because we have a Game 7 to look forward to at the time of this recording. So we will break down everything that's happened in Round 2 and the epic conference finals ahead of us. Episode 322 of the Lace Up Podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. Before we get to uh, the meat of the show, Brett, uh, we have some disturbing news uh, that involves uh, World Junior Team. And uh, unfortunately for my home country, uh, it's the Canadian 2018 World Junior Squad. And uh, they're making headlines for all the wrong reasons this week. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's also kind of incredible. Well, I guess I'll get to the story first, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll mention this. But yeah, according to Rick Westhead, um, there, uh, there was a report that a woman who alleged she was sexually assaulted by eight CHL players, including members of Canada's 2017-18 World Junior Team, uh, she has agreed to drop a lawsuit against the players... Hockey Canada and the CHL after re- reaching a settlement, um, and so of course it's unclear um, which of these players did it, but um, but it could be like you know when you look at back at this team, there were a few of them that are uh, that were kind of big names, of course, because like you're talking about a World Junior team on Team Canada, no less. Um, there is, uh, I do want to note that even though Kale McCarr and Dante Fabro are on this list, um, they w- likely, or not likely, they probably, I actually, I should be definitive about it, but because this lawsuit was against the CHL and Kale McCarr and Fabro and uh, I guess the only other one who went to NCAA uh, was Colton Point, it's likely that those three are dissolved from this. However, um, so that would be huge news if Kale McCarr was, like, there was some some uh, dark matter into Kale McCarr. Who knows if he knew or not. I guess that's that's the only uh, thing that he has to worry about now. But Well, and, and that's the other thing. It's right. like, we don't know how many people right. on this team knew about this incident. Exactly. Yeah, fair, fair point, too. Uh, but anyways, the, the likes of the players on this team were Carter Hart, Jake Bean, uh, Connor Timmins. I guess I can go through the whole list. Uh, that's not those three that I just listed. Cal Foote, uh, Kale Clegg, Victor Mete, Dylan Dubé, Jonah Gachovic, uh, Boris Kachuk, Max Comtois, Taylor Radish, Tyler Steenbergen, Drake Batherson, which is the biggest name. Um, or actually, well, maybe the second biggest name here. Uh, we're about to get to the biggest name. Uh, Michael McLeod, Brett Howden, Sam Steele, Alex Formanton, Jordan Cairo, and Robert Thomas. So, um, of course, like, you know, there's a lot of those players in the NHL. Um, the NHL did release a statement shortly after and said that they are going to look into it. However, because this was a settlement, I... I fear that this 
could be a part of that settlement where they are like uh, they're chosen not to out them and you know like maybe that is a part of the settlement so I don't know if we'll ever really know who who did this the whole thing um, so it's just like just that there is some level of doubt with all those players that I just listed um, and yeah of course it's like you know just like the Kyle Beach thing or um, any time there's a sexual assault case like this even though it has been settled out of court um, you know it's just like of course it's very sad and it's it sucks I mean we're, we're going to talk about this uh, another incident later on in the show but it just sucks that this isn't surprising um, it's just like oh okay I guess you know this this is like commonplace and in this culture um, and yeah I, I guess what I saw was there was like a gala that this incident happened at um, and um, so and this was in 2018 and like just to remind you guys that like Kyle Kyle Beach that incident was in 2010 so it's like it's not like you know like you know you would think like oh it's like all this old hockey culture has been done with that's not that's the furthest from the truth because 2018 was relatively recently so um, and you know I'm I'm sure stuff happens now too but uh, but yeah I guess like the more that these things are are exposed and the great thing and that's the other thing I wanted to get to is like Rick Westhead is incredible like uh, he's probably blacklisted by everyone in the NHL industry um, and probably Bettman is uh, the first name on that list uh, yeah exactly it's just like and so I don't know how but like at the same time he's like if you had an injustice by a hockey player I'm sure Rick Westhead is the first to know or like you're going to want to talk to Rick Westhead and get a hold yeah. of him so it's like yeah he's, he's blackballed by the NHL yeah. but he's also like like when he made this report it's like okay I know this is true and this is very serious so um, so mm-hmm. good good on Rick Westhead for still for still doing this stuff because it's I'm sure it's like um, it's not hard I mean like we all think hockey's the greatest game on earth yep. and it's full of very talented players but it's not a perfect league and there are several black eyes that have been uncovered over the course of this season and we should not be brushing that aside when it's all said and done when the season ends we need to remember the Kyle Beach story and we need to remember this story because if we don't remember and we can't we can't learn from it we we have to learn from it we can't just move on and pretend like there are no other stories out there they're going to be if we if we don't uh, actually take steps forward and learn from this and the fact that it's not just one person, it's eight people, like a f- entire freaking hockey team. Like, how, how much have we learned, really, like yeah. over the course of time? Like, we're told about these things. How much have we learned, really? Um, obviously, these people, you know, within that dressing room, they, they themselves who are a part of this, those eight people know who they are. And I would hope those eight people really and truly have learned their lesson and everyone on this team should be speaking out against this every chance they get call it out like call call out what's so sick and wrong about this 
because everyone is is going to be scrutinizing this team and, and and rightfully so for what they did or didn't do in this situation. It it's it's just a very very sinful act and it needs to stop. It's it's harming people. It's harming their lives, it's harming their careers. And the these every single person that was affiliated with this that knows what happened to those who did they're they're lucky their names are getting called out right now because that that this has ruined at least one person's livelihood potentially yeah. the, the the person that at the receiving end of whatever the heck you can call this it, it's I, I shake my head every time i i act like i'm not surprised but it, it's it's just shameful that this keeps happening yeah we're yeah. still talking about it yeah, I mean, I think the, the fact that this is a lawsuit that was settled, so I think this will probably be the last time we'll see or hear anything from this. So, um, but yeah, of course we should strive to remember this. I hope, like, any of these players are held accountable to it. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I, I would not be shocked if, like, the, this is the last time where we're going to hear from this. Um, so... Um, it's unfortunate, but, um, but yeah, I guess it's, um, you have to move on because that's really the only thing we can do. Um, and shout out again to Rick Westhead for doing God's yeah, work yet again. Exactly. Um, all right. Uh, there's no easy transition from this, but I, I'm going to try to, yeah. uh, but, uh, so the, uh, world championships were, um, uh, were played. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we didn't really cover it. I guess I don't. I don't even think they were on NHL Network, which is what they're usually on. Or I, I, like, I, I wanted to watch it just because to see uh, David Krejci and David Pasternak be a teammates again, um, or Jeremy Swayman for Team USA. But I, I guess I just I just couldn't find it. So, um, but uh, apparently, <laughs> I, I guess we'll we'll start off with uh, so Finland ended up winning. The, the world championships um, and um, I'm just looking at the II the double IHF hockey Twitter um, and um, I found out that Valtteri Filippila uh, he's a triple gold club winner now which means he won a Stanley Cup an Olympic gold and a world championships um, so that's pretty incredible um, also I found out that this guy named UC Okanora who was the goalie for Finland, uh, ended up getting the tournament MVP. Uh, he's a 31-year-old, and uh, he had a 1.1 GAA and a save percentage of 948. Um, so that's pretty good, I would say. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but that, uh, that's pretty good um, in eight games. So. I wonder how many NHL teams are going to yeah. give him a call, like for NHL teams that desperately need goal yeah. depth. They, they could take a flyer on him, just like Harry Sateri after his performance at uh, the Olympics. Yeah, not, not a bad idea. But, like, what's interesting, too, is, like, I see that he played for the St. John's Ice Caps for a couple times, mm. but, like, he had a sub-900 save percentage. Um, this was in, like, 2012 and 2013, so... So yeah, a lot has changed then. And um, yeah. Miko Koskinen was out of the league for a fair bit, and then yeah. he got back in. So if he can get then, back in, um, surely yeah. this guy has a chance. 
And then, like, yeah, then he played for Liga, then he played for the KHL, and yeah, he, he was actually pretty decent for the, in the KHL. He had a 9.17 save percentage in 2021 for Metallurg, a Magnus Torx, and uh, in 2020, uh, he had a 9.35 save percentage and a 1.9 GAA in 30 games. So if that's not enough to get NHL players are NHL teams interested? I don't know if this will for for anyone, but um, but just, just invite yeah, him just, on a tryout, even just yeah, like an amateur tryout and see if he exactly. see if he fits. Yeah, if Dryden McKay can get some interest, then yeah, this guy should <laughs> as well. Um, oh yeah, by the way, I don't know if we said this on the show, but I believe uh, Dryden McKay has signed with the Maple Leafs, um, but um, but I don't I don't know if it's like. Um, it doesn't seem like it's official, just according to Cat Friendly, but um, it looks like that's where he's going um, when he can officially sign. Um, so Finland, yeah, because because there's there's a suspension of sorts right. that he has to fill up, so maybe it's not official until that suspension. Yeah, so because yeah, you're 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 taking up a roster spot there if you're the least if you the second you sign him because right. he's under contract for you. So right, right, they're right. probably just waiting for that to happen when he's eligible, and then they'll sign him. But there's an agreement in principle that he will sign with the right. Maple Leafs, which is kind of funny that uh, a team with a, you know, a, a decent amount of goalie depth, like there are other teams like Arizona or Seattle that yeah. could probably use him more, uh, or even Chicago. But um, the yeah. fact that Toronto would take a chance on him is also interesting, considering they have cap situations uh, to work around, what they do with Campbell, how they handle the Morassic contract, that type of stuff. Right, right. Well, I mean, I think we, it's not like a huge surprise that the Maple Leafs do this, but yes, um, I, I do. Hey, I mean, yeah. if, if it gives you more options, why not, right? All right. Uh, we're going a little bit off script here. Um, yeah. So, so anyways, Finland gets the gold medal, which is great for them. I feel like they always win it, but um, apparently they were the host city uh, this year for the world, so that's great. Uh, silver uh, was Canada, uh, because of course, and then the bronze game was Czechia, of course. With uh, so what was interesting too is I kept on seeing on Twitter that like USA was up like six to one at the start of the third period. I was just like, six oh. to one. Yeah, USA was up by oh, a lot. My Lord. And then get this. Um, Chechia scores six unanswered in the third period. <laughs> so, um, and of course, David Pasternak gets a hat trick because he's David Pasternak. Um, and then you had uh, David Camp got two of those goals. I forget who who got the other goal, but I think it's more impressive that you you just score six goals in the third period. Um, but uh, but yeah, it seemed like the USA just collapsed at the at the wrong time in this this game, but. Uh, anyways, kudos for Chechia. Um, again, as I mentioned before, I wanted to see uh, pass Pasta and Krejci play. I think Swayman also played for Team USA, so that would have been fun. But anyways, it's uh, I, I'm I'm glad that uh, I, I'm glad that Pasternak and Krejci got to play together again. Um, I remember there was like I think sometime in like January, Krejci made a comment saying that. Uh, he was upset that Pastor, uh, that Cassidy moved Pasternak to the second line. Um, he may have been kidding, who knows? But uh, because uh, Pasternak, uh, Cassidy never uh, moved Pasternak to Krejci's line in the first place, so 
he got mad at uh, Cassidy for that. But um, but yeah, maybe it's just like uh, we're we're trying to make Krejci jealous. It's like, hey, look, we we can move uh, Pasternak to the second line. Uh, why don't you come back? I'm just more but, astonished that yeah. a team not named the Toronto Maple Leafs blew a multi-goal lead in the third period, and okay. this one was five-goal bronze medal on the line. Oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I mentioned that to you on the email, but I guess you didn't. Well, didn't, no, you didn't. mentioned the comeback. I, I don't know if you mentioned the fact it was 6-1 U.S. in the third period. Like, yeah, yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah. That, that, is, that is a collapse. Anyways, I wish I could be upset, but I can't because it's Krejci and Pasta. Um, so um, that's just what's going to happen. And and uh, and Krejci knows a thing or two about uh, coming back from behind, like the 2013. So <laughs> yeah, Pasternak yeah. wasn't even on the 2013 yeah. Bruins. He wasn't even drafted. Yeah, sure. he wasn't he w- even drafted. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so I I you know it, it's hard to really get upset about. This my my Americans there, but um, we'll see. Anyways. Also, um, I've just accepted the fact that Canada's going to lose to Finland every time they <laughs> square off in the finals in this tournament, because in yeah. 2019, they also had, a, they also had I mean, Canada's number two. Let's be real. It's when, crazy. Finland is, fin, Finland is really um, has really won a lot uh, in the COVID era. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it it is kind of tough when most of the like the good Canadians are playing in the actual Stanley Cup playoffs right now. So I don't. Well, true. You know, yeah. Or they're like hurt or whatever. Um, so it's like, yeah, you guys would have won if you had McKinnon and McDavid. Um, on, yeah. You know, so it's not like a huge thing. Um. On the and the and the funny thing is is like Finland won the gold medal, and they. Didn't even win it with UC Saros in that because yep. uh, he was hurt. Right, so, like, right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. They, they won this without possibly the best finished player that could have been eligible for them. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, so, um, okay. The other thing that I do want to mention... Oh, I, I, I think I mentioned that that's... Voltaire Filipila got, has a triple crown. Yeah. Uh, so Olympic gold, Stanley triple Cup crown, and, yeah. World Championship. Um, I didn't know if I mentioned that or not. Um, and then lastly, Jason Spezza retired, um, which is a shame because I felt like he had a little bit left in the tank, even though he is like he isn't as good as he used to be. But um, he, uh, yeah, so he retired, and he's instantly going to be working for the Leafs um, right away. I don't know what his exact role is. Maybe I can look at it once you start talking because he was he's, a senator. Uh, he's for a special him. assistant to, uh, it's, it's kind of like a Dunder Mifflin, the office type of deal. <laughs> yeah. He's a, I think that he's an like assistant that. to the general manager, Kyle Dubas. Got Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So he ended up, I, I guess it's also kind of a shame because he was five points away from getting a thousand points. Um, but he did play yeah. in a, a thousand two hundred games. Uh, and 19 seasons. Um, uh, he played for Ottawa for 11 years, uh, Dallas for five, and Toronto for three years. Um, so, yeah, because he, he played for Ottawa, you probably have more uh, to say on it, but um, it's kind of cool, too. I, I'm noticing here that he was a point per game um, just for when you count all his games in Ottawa. 
Um, he had 687 points for Ottawa in 686 games. Uh, so that's, that's pretty good. Um, I, I think he's a classic example of, of uh, Hall of Very Good. Um, I, he'll probably eventually make it in because that's just how it works, but I don't think he'll actually make it in if I, like, it might take him a while to actually get in, but he may eventually, but I, I like, I wouldn't be shocked, but I, I don't think he, he will. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Hall of very good for sure. I don't know if he has the numbers to get in and people have been, questioning whether or not Alfie has the numbers to get in and his right. point holes are yeah, better than Spets's. Um, so that that just goes to show you how good Alfie is. And and, and you know what? To to Jason Spezza's credit, uh, his best hockey was in Ottawa. Yep. When he went to Dallas's offensive instincts, I don't know if they deteriorated, but the offensive production slowly but surely did. He wasn't the main guy leading the charge in Dallas like maybe they thought they envisioned. Um, but you know what, Jason Spezza down the road is a great team player because as the offensive production started to dwindle, obviously the opportunities to produce started to dwindle. And you know what, he's a good foot soldier with the Maple Leafs as a depth guy. And he's, he's a guy you, could, you, you heard throughout the playoffs in the locker room. He was one of the guys to stand up and say something like, the dude cares a lot. And it just sucks he didn't win the Stanley Cup as a player. Um, obviously, a well-respected guy to get a front office position that quickly is it, it says a lot about his character. Um, yeah, one, one of the uh, one of the many great Ottawa Senators players uh, to never win a Stanley Cup, um, and obviously a, a Toronto guy, but uh, will always be remembered in Ottawa. Wouldn't shock me if the sense put him in the ring of honor, retire his number, that kind of deal. But yeah, the Hall of Fame, uh, you'll probably be waiting on for a fair bit there. Does it bother you that he's going to now work for your Crosstown rival? What bothered me was the drop passes he would attempt and would often <laughs> fail miserably. Um, I don't. It doesn't bother me he works for the Leafs at all. Yeah, that's fine. I'll always have a soft spot in my heart for Spezza. And how could you not? That laugh sure. of his? Yeah, yeah, the best that's, of the true, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for some reason, even though one, I one of my one of my yeah. fantasy one of my fantasy opponents, did you not one of my fantasy opponents named his team Spetz's laugh. That's really? it. That's funny. I like that. Um, yeah. yeah, he was a part of that uh, pizza line with um, uh, Danny Heatley and um, yep. from blanking on the other guy, but um, that's that's Alfredson. the main one. Alfredson, right? Right. For some reason, I thought it was like someone who was less known, but. Um, so he I, I blanked on yeah. the most notes there. Well, no, I, I, I well, it's oddly because I, I mostly remember because Danny Heatley was incredible against the Bruins that yep, one year. Danny Heatley All Star. Yeah. Yep. So, so I, uh, I mostly remembered that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, uh, Jason Spezza, just from a like you know a fan of the rival team um, for most of his career. It's just like right. It, I, I respected him a lot as a player, but. I don't know. He he, get, he was never flashy and all that stuff, but like you know, he was something that was just obviously he was very skilled and he didn't have to be. He just like showed what he he was made of and didn't wasn't cocky about it, which is which is kind of cool. Um, it also boggles the mind to me uh, just quickly before we move on yeah. is that with the with the future of Zdeno Char up in the air, 
both remaining parts of the Alexi Ashton trade could have announced their retirement before the start of next season, oh, which is which is kind of crazy when you think about it. So wait, Spezza was a part of that Ashton deal? I thought he it was, was the second overall pick. Oh, that's right. In that's 2001. right. I, yeah. I I thought he was like I didn't realize I thought it, like it was only that trade was only bad because it was because um, of Chara but yes yeah. oh because of Chara no yeah, yeah. no that ended things. up being the big piece on top of that that's right that's right um, okay interesting um, all right so uh, so now we'll get to the Western Conference we're gonna start off like usually we start this uh, whenever we do these types of things with the Eastern Conference but because the Eastern Conference is still being decided, we're going to start off with the Western Conference, and there's more to talk about it. Um, so we're going to start off with, we have two obituaries, we have a series preview to get to, and then we'll go to the Eastern Conference. Um, and so, so we're going to start off with the St. Louis Blues obituary. Um, yeah, so they, they got swept uh, by uh, the Colorado Avalanche. Um, no, they, did, they, did, they lost in six. They didn't get swept. They did not get swept. You're right. <laughs> but uh, Naz and Proudry was Renfrey in their ad all yeah, series. It's a, yes, yes. We'll get to him in a second. Um, that is right. I don't know why I said they were swept. I, I guess. I think we all Maybe assumed that they we were going to be swept. thought they would. Yeah, yeah. What happened. But, right, you know, right. They, they were a respectable they, they were good to their credit. Um, they, um, yeah, so they ended up uh, losing in six. Um, oh, by the way, I think I saw this somewhere, but this might be the first time. I don't know if this is actually the first time, but the Panthers got swept. Uh, the uh, Flames got out in five. The Blues got out in six. There's going to be a game seven, so one of the, the Rangers or the Canes are going to get out in seven. And so that's like um, all four teams are going to get out in um, different number of games. I, I yeah, think that's... that's yeah, that's an interesting number generation there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know if that's the first time that's ever happened, but it's it's got to be like you know, there's probably very few times that that's ha that yeah, happened. Whoever's in the audience, hop on the Google machine and look that up for us. Exactly. Tweet at us. Yeah, We'd like to know. Let us down. Um, anyways, um, in terms of their off season, the Blues off season plans, um, Tyler Bozak, David Perron. Uh, Nick Letty and Callie Rosen, and as well as Vili Huso, are UFAs. RFAs, you have Scott Perunovic, Nico uh, Mikula, are RFAs that are available there. Um, I, yeah, it's, it's interesting too, because I feel like Jordan Bennington wasn't as good in the regular season. Vili Huso did pick it up towards the end there, or he, he picked his, like, you know, he started to uh, show up uh, against Colorado, uh, but of course Colorado is just too good. So, um, so it's like you don't blame him for for losing that series. Uh, but yeah, it, it does bring in like, okay, what what do the Blues do now with Philly Huso? Um, I also wonder what they do with David Perron. I feel like those are the two ones that they're gonna have to focus in on because. Uh, yeah, they have nine million or nine point seven million in cap space um, right now. So, um, and those are like the two ones that you're gonna have to try to figure out and, and sign. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, that's that's um, they're probably gonna have to make some trades or things like that. But um, but yeah, it's incredible when you see that like Jordan Binnington has five more years left, um, and um, and you ha- and he's not even your best goalie. Um, so so yeah, they they may be in trouble, um, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah. So. I think Philly Uso's struggles in the playoffs might have just helped the St. Louis Blues, and we'll tell you why. Because I think if he has a strong playoffs, he has a case where he could command more money elsewhere. I think that's out the window now. And I think if I'm the St. Louis Blues, if I can, I bring him back on a decent two-year deal. Because he's earned at least that. Like, you look at the previous earnings from Billy Uso going into this year, like this guy and his latest cap hit 750k, that's a huge bargain, but it's near the league minimum so he's worth, I think at least 2, 2.5 million and you go up from there like that's minimum what he's worth um, I think he's he was a good competitor to go up against Bennington whenever Bennington struggled, he was able to carry the load but if, if I'm the Blues, it was a good thing that Jordan Bennington picked up the slack when he so struggled in the playoffs because if he didn't, you're looking at a guy making, like you said, Brett, $6 million per year for the next five years. And on cap friendly, it's already into the 22-23, so not looking at 21-22. We're looking into next year already. So that cap is going to stay at $6 million. He also has a no-trade clause, just putting that out there, Jordan Bennington, and he's uh, entering his uh, age 28 season. So when you factor in all of those factors, I think their goalie tandem isn't great, but it's all right, and the Blues still have an all right team. Now, Nick Letty, I don't think they'll be able to afford to keep around because they do have some interesting options um, down the road, um, defensive options on the open market, perhaps that they could pursue some cheap depth options. Um, they could pursue David Prawn's interesting in the sense that not just that he's 34, but you look at the options that the Blues have going forward. 2023, July 2023 is going to be huge for the Blues, and here's why. Vladimir Tarasenko, 7.5 million cap it, is an unrestricted free agent. And I don't know if the impressive season that he had for the Blues this year was enough to calm down the trade waters. Maybe he still wants out. That could impact things. Ryan O'Reilly, their captain, 7.5 million cap it as well, age 31, one year older than Tarasenko. He's also an unrestricted free agent. Don't have to worry about Braden Shen. You got a fair amount of years of him down the road. I think another seven years, in fact. Pavel Buchnevich, you got at a decent cap hit, um, and he was worth that cap hit uh, for this season. Next three years, we'll see. Uh, you have four more years of Brandon Saad as well. The big ones that I'm looking at are Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas, both of whom had very solid seasons. They have 2.8 million cap hits, respectively. Both are arbitration-eligible RFAs in 2023, and both will probably command a lot of money 
if they continue to build on their impressive seasons that they put forward this year. You also have Ivan Barbashev, who low-key put up a respectable point amount, 60 points in 81 games, career year for him. He's going to be a free agent at the end of next year. His current cap is $2.25 million. So when I'm thinking about the contract of David Perron, I'm not thinking about term. And I'm not as concerned about the money because I think he still has a fair bit of quality hockey left in him, at least another few years worth. I'm looking at, okay, if I keep David Perron on the books moving forward, once we get into next year, how much of a tough position am I in if I commit to David Perron right now? It's more so down the road that concerns me as the GM of the Blues not David Perron's production, it's everything else, including what would happen if you kept David Perron in the mix. That's right. that's my concern. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you, you did mention this briefly, but it is interesting how like O'Reilly, Tarasenko, uh, Barbashev, um, Kairou, and Robert Thomas are all going to be free agents next year. Yeah. So they're you, basically next year. Yeah. They're the they're what the Pittsburgh Penguins are now. Right, right. They have a lot of big so, decisions to make, yeah. but they have cap space to decide how they spend that cap space. So if you pay David Perron a lot of money now, you're it's going to hurt you uh, next year when you have to pay all those guys I just mentioned. So yeah, um, exactly. So so yeah, it's, it's just like you know you have to figure out like okay what what's going to be. Um, like who who do you think is going to be the most important players to figure out right now? And then maybe yeah, uh, there was like a report that Tarasenko last year he wanted out in a trade. So um, although now that he had a pretty good season this year, um, understatement of the century, I know. But uh, but yeah, maybe you do get more. Like interest in him, so maybe you do start to trade Tarasenko if if he still wants to leave St. Louis, um, and that could help their cap uh, stuff as well. But of course, that's easier said than done. Um, now, now the thing with David Perron is that, granted, he is thirty four, and and yeah. that will factor into things. Uh, as a matter of fact, he just turned thirty four years old a couple days ago. Right. That should be noted. Um, but when he got paid that four years by four million cap hit, he was coming off a career year in Vegas, 66 points in 70 games. Since then, 46 and 57, 60 and 71, 58 and 56, and this year, 57 and 67. And he's been a decent mid-range 20s goal scorer, which in my opinion, he, he might be making a case for more than $4 million per year on his next deal, which would be a cap increase for the Blues, um, which, again, factors into their cap situation when they have to make all those decisions. Um, that being said, the Blues can't overpay to keep David Perron because I don't think if you if you sign to, like, let's say, like a three-year deal with a $6 million cap hit, that might be pushing it be- because all of a sudden one of his productions starts to deteriorate, then you further screw yourselves. Right, right, right. yeah, that's a good point. You have, you have to find that balance. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Speaking of teams that are going to have a lot of off-season <laughs> moves, 
Uh, we're going to talk about the Calgary Flames um, in their obituary. They, um, I, I think we're going to see a very, very different Calgary Flames team uh, from this year. Um, this year, because they kind of have to be. Uh, a lot of notable free agents here. Uh, we've been talking about this for forever, it feels like, but Johnny Gaudreau is the big one who's going to be a UFA. Um, it's been, he's, uh, is that right? He's 28 years old. I for, like, it feels like he's been in the league forever, but yeah, he's 28 years old. So, um, there's been a rumor going around forever that he's going to go to his childhood team, the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm not sure if that's the smartest move if I were him, but, um, but I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked. He, they are the front runner for, for Johnny Gaudreau's services. Um, other notable free agents that are out there are, uh, well, restricted free agents is Matthew Kachuk and Andrew Mangiapane. Um, you also have Ryan Carpenter, Cal Yarncook, Trevor Lewis, Brett Ritchie um, as UFAs. Um, then you have, on the defensive side of things, you have Eric Branson, Michael Stone, and Nikita Zadorov as UFAs. And then you have, um, you know, Oliver Chillington, who had a breakout this year as an RFA as well. Um, I, I think you have to, I, like, Calgary, let's see how much cap space. Well, Calgary, so the good news is Calgary has $26 million in cap space. Um, the bad news is, is that I don't think you're going to uh, be able to keep Mangiapane, Kachuk, or Gaudreau. Like, you, you can't you can't keep all three. Um, yeah. And, and uh, even if you lose one of them, which it seems very likely, that's probably going to be Gaudreau, your whole identity as a team is uh, not looking good. Um, it's, like, it's going to be altered. Because, like, I associated the Calgary Flames with Johnny Gaudreau. If it just felt like that was his team and all that stuff, so... Um, so it's going to be weird that I, I, it's all points are signing, all signs are pointing to him leaving. Um, but who knows if that's actually going to happen. Maybe he likes it in Calgary. There was a story that Gaudreau said that the, his neighbor started to, uh, mow his lawn because, uh, he wanted him to stay. So I, I guess it maybe, maybe that's why, uh, Maybe maybe that's the difference. Then Gaudreau's gonna stay because uh, that his neighbor uh, mowed his lawn. Um, so so yeah, we'll we'll see. I I would venture that Johnny Gaudreau is probably gonna go. Here's the thing that Calgary needs to be worried about is if you commit to Johnny Gaudreau, which version of Johnny Gaudreau are you gonna get? Because when you look at Johnny Gaudreau's numbers, like, you can't discredit what he did this yep. year. Like, he was unreal this year. Yep. By far and away, his best season, first 100-point season of his career, 115 points, 40 goals in 82 games. And he was over a point-a-game player in the playoffs. In the regular season, he was a plus 64. Like, man, like, near the top of the league in plus-minus. That's huge. But similar to Dougie Hamilton, when he had his big seasons in Carolina, and you look at the season that he had in New Jersey this past year, 
I wonder how much the defensive structure plays into things. And granted, that defensive structure wasn't necessarily anywhere to be found when they went up against the Edmonton Oilers. But throughout the course of the regular season, Calgary was one of the best defensive teams. They had good goaltending, in fact, great goaltending. Even Dan Vladar put up some pretty good numbers. But Calgary all around has a better team than a team like Philadelphia. If you put Johnny Goudreau on the Philadelphia Flyers, I don't know if you're going to get the same results, and I certainly don't think the structure is as reliable as it is in Calgary, where Johnny Goudreau is able to flourish to this extent. That's what I'm concerned about if he signs long-term. I fear the Flyers are going to overpay for him, and um, they're going to find themselves in a financial pickle. I'm not going to say it's Eric Carlson contract bad, but it could be an overpay. Yep. Now, for the Carolina Hurricanes, what works against them is that Matthew Kachuk is an arbitration-eligible RFA, just like Mangiapane is. Mangiapane slumped in the second half, which they could argue why Andrew Mangiapane should be making less than what he's looking for. Matthew Kachuk did not have a second-half slump. Matthew Kachuk kept on going. Finished the year with 42 goals in 82 games and had 104 points. He was a plus 57. And he was near a point a game score in the playoffs, too, with 10 points in 12 games. That's going to be a tough negotiating process. And in my opinion, he's a guy they definitely need. You're not going to sacrifice Elias Lindholm, who's on a bargain contract, by the way, for another two years until he becomes a free agent. He's currently 27 now. The good news is you have two more years of Tyler Toffoli at $4.25 million. If Johnny Gaudreau leaves, I guess you could always slot in Toffoli at that spot, and I think he could maybe not put up like 100 points like Johnny Gaudreau, but like I think he could fill out some of the offensive void. Um, and the, there are a couple of things long-term that Calgary doesn't have to worry about. Mikhail Backlund's $5.35 million cap it has two years left. Milan Lucic, $5.25 million cap it. They only have to deal with that for one more season. It's shocking how that Lucic deal is almost done, but there's a year left on that. So it's not like they're cash-strapped to, to that extent. And then, of course, you have Sean Monaghan, who was the worst plus-minus on the team, and for whatever reason over the past three years, his stock has fallen drastically. Yeah. The problem is it's fallen drastically to the point where I don't know if anyone would be able to be willing to part fair value to get a guy like Sean Monahan because he hadn't necessarily given anyone any reason to, you know, give up even a second round pick for him. So that's one thing. And also for this upcoming draft, Calgary doesn't have a first, a third, a fourth, or a sixth. The earliest they pick is round two, then round five, and then round seven. That's all they have is three picks. So they've mortgaged a fair bit of their future. There's also Nikita Zadorov, an underrated part of their defense. Kelly Yarncroke, a depth forward that um, looked pretty good in the playoffs. So did Brett Ritchie. Um, there, there are a lot of pieces that uh, Calgary is going to have to really evaluate here. And there are some good prospects coming up the pipeline. But are they NHL ready? Can they pick up the slack? Not really quite sure. But I do think when it's all said and done, Calgary might be drastically different in some ways, but not drastically different in the sense where they take a free fall down the Pacific Division standings. Let's not forget they're in the Pacific Division 
where you have the California teams. You don't know where you, what you're going to get with them. We thought Seattle was going to be good this year. They weren't. We don't know what Vancouver's going to do in the offseason. We don't know what Vegas is going to do in the offseason. And we don't even know if the Oilers are this good beyond this playoff run that they have. Yep. So I think it's too early to put into question uh, what the Calgary Flames are going to look like beyond this season. They do have a lot of questions to answer. There's no doubt about that. But I think for the most part, they still have a decent team to build around, and they'll definitely be in the contention for playoffs. But they did miss an opportunity to cash in big with this group, and they know it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's that's a good point. I, I don't think that they're going to, like, miss the playoffs. Um, but, like, you know, at the same time, I don't want to, like discredit that like losing Johnny Gaudreau or Mangiapane or whoever they lose I don't think they're going to lose Matthew Kachuk um I, I'm pretty sure he's going to stay uh but uh like you know like those those guys are going to be tough to replace um so I, I think it all hinges on like okay who are they going to get in order to take over from those two guys um and if Mangiapane stays great I, I feel like Goudreau's not going to stay, so, like, because he's, he's going to make... I would venture that he'll make the most money out of anyone in the open market this offseason. So, um, so I would venture that he's probably he's probably gone. Um, what, what's, what's disappointing about this whole run is that Calgary had all the pieces to win, yep. and it looks like if everything was going to go their way, they were going to make it to the conference finals. And I'm right. not saying, oh, you know, the Blake Coleman phantom yeah. kick or whatever. We'll, 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 into we'll get into that, that in a second, but yeah. That type of thing. I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily that they were screwed by the refs. The, if you look at how the Calgary Flames performed, they couldn't keep leads and they couldn't close. Yeah. Daryl Sutter sudded after game five, games two, four, and five, they could have turned out differently because they were they were yep. tied in the third period. We had a chance to win those games, and he's right. But the alarming message to me, in hindsight, that the Flames were in trouble was Game One. Remember, they won that Game Nine Six, but also remember they were up three nothing in the first six or seven minutes. Yep. And they were up six two at one point, and the Oilers tied that game. They were up two nothing. At the start of game two, the Oilers came back and won that game. Yep. They were back and forth with the Oilers all series. There were a lot of sus goals going in on Mike Smith, but also on Jacob Markstrom, too. He wasn't playing his best. But the defense, for whatever reason, just hung him out to dry. If the defense plays respectably, I think the series, the outcome is different. But because Leon Dreisaitl goes off for 17 points in five games and McDavid gets 12 in five games... Yep. That's ball game. Yep. If you got guys cashing in with those guys setting up plays, like the, I don't care who you have against you, the Edmonton Oilers stand a pretty good chance of winning with the way those superstars are playing. Yep. So we're, we're, it, we'll we'll it, get into it, that in it, a it, second. It, it turned out differently. That's the most frustrating part. Is yeah. the Flames had that series, but they just couldn't do their end of the bargain defensively, and it cost them. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that series in a second. You kind of uh, you did it again, but uh, it's okay. Um, bury the lead. Again. Yeah, yeah, bury the lead again. 
It's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I guess I was the the only other point I was going to mention was that like, like you know that yeah I don't I don't think they're gonna like miss the playoffs. I agree with you there, but like losing Johnny Gaudreau is gonna be a, a rough a rough thing that they're going to handle. I don't care how yeah. good Jacob Peltier is going to be or how good. Connor Zary or whoever else they have in their system, um, that that's just gonna. He's a tough guy to replace. Um, and um, and yeah, and and I guess to, to lead into this series, I think it's like yeah, it's an unfortunate Calgary played really well wire to wire in the regular season. Uh, Daryl Sutter, of course, knows what he's doing. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's like you know on on the other hand. As you were just mentioning, Dreisaitl had, like, he has, um, he had three points in every game, uh, in this series, um, and get this, he, uh, he's also injured, um, he's, like, it's, like, a, a known secret that he's, pl- he has a very bad ankle, so he's, he's doing all this on a, like, while very, very injured, and he can barely walk. He's, he's, uh, yeah. he's taking it back to 2017 yeah. Eric Carlson's what yeah. he's saying. Yeah, and, and then we talked about Connor McDavid and how incredible he is last last week, but, yeah, so it's, like, it's unfortunate, and even Daryl Sutter mentioned it um, in the post game that, um, that, like, you know, this was, like, you know, we always focus on the negatives and all the scoring stuff, but then he was just saying, like, he was like, I mean, he didn't actually say this, but he, he kind of implied that he was just in awe of McDavid and Dreisaitl. He was just like, just look at how incredible the hockey was uh, during those five games. It's just incredible. Like, yeah, he's like, yeah, we you could knock us for for not playing good defense, but at the same time, this is like we're witnessing history right now. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't think like you know anyone feels bad for the Calgary Flames. It's just like okay, it's inevitable. This is we we knew this was going to happen. That McDavid and Drysaddle are going to will their team to victory, and that's exactly what happened. It doesn't even and, matter and, and, how good Markstrom was, or uh, it doesn't even matter if uh, Blake Coleman kicked it or not. Like they they. Um, you know, it, like it's uh, like this game. This series was over as soon as McDavid said, "Like, okay, I'm gonna win this game." So, um, it, it's like it doesn't even matter. There, there is this uh, clip that you uh, uh, showed to me um, yeah. in our email chat, and it's the CBC Calgary uh, oh, yeah. news anchor, and he said, "Remember, you can strive and succeed in anything you want to." Unless Connor McDavid yep. is chasing that exact same right, thing. right, 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 exactly, and he's hundred yeah. percent right. So like, before, yeah, before we get on to the 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 next series, um, the the series preview, I do want to mention that, like, yeah, you have a point that, like, you know, they'll probably make the playoffs, but I don't think they're gonna be like any good as they they were this year, uh, just because they won't have Johnny Gaudreau, and that's gonna be a tough player to replace um but you know at the same time Daryl Sutter is a good coach um but you know I don't and so he could like he could manage without them but um but yeah I I don't I I don't think that they're gonna go very far um in the next round in the the playoffs even if they do make it at the same time 
I feel like they are setting themselves up, and this is a hot take, I feel like they're setting themselves up for future failure yes. if they sign Gaudreau to a long-term deal and give him $10 million a year, and this is why. Matthew Kachuk is already making $7 million yeah. per year. That's what his price tag was this year. If they give Gaudreau that, Kachuk probably wants at least that. Right. And he's got arbitration rights as I well. Mean, you also look at Mangiapane. And then that bargain deal with Elias Lindholm that just goes away, what are you going to pay him in two years? Yeah, yeah that's Like, all your cap space at that point is spent to the core, and then yep. what can you do to improve your roster? I mean, the the Maple Leafs, that's basically how the Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers are set up, so it's like they're, they're doing well. <laughs> but yeah, I, I do know what you mean. Um... Yeah, and the Maple Leafs have won how many playoff series? Yeah, but like the Edmonton it's Oilers, the, they yeah. lost to the Edmonton Oilers, and that's like the Edmonton Oilers. That's how the Edmonton Oilers are. Uh, that's a yeah. capsule. I, I, I mean, so. like, yeah, yeah, the Leafs are able to get good seasons with right. that formula, but they haven't won any playoff series since all four. But how many playoff series has the Edmonton Oilers won? Two. Um, they won in twenty uh, since two thousand four, or like recently, McDavid era. McDavid era, yeah. Or since they he beat, signed that uh, contract. They beat the Sharks in twenty seventeen, so that's one. They lost to the Ducks, uh, so they didn't win that. Well, I, I actually, and I then, should, I should uh, say, and then, the last, and then the Kings and uh, the Flames just now, so that's three. Yeah, but like, when did he sign that contract again? Um, that was. Uh, Mc- David, uh, that's a good question. I think it was after, I think it was after the sixteen seventeen season when McDavid committed okay. because anyways, he was so, on the heels of that. So, so that was July fifth, twenty seventeen was the date. There you go. Okay, Shortly so, after uh, the twenty seventeen run ended. So okay, so that means so they've they've won two playoff series. Anyways, that's my point. Is that like yeah. the Oilers are built the same way. So they, they could make it work. It's just that they have to like be smart at the draft and and uh, start to uh, cheap out or try to find cheap contracts everywhere um, on players. But they, they could the way, do it. it should be noted that both McDavid and Dreisaitl have no move clauses yep. effective um, from now into the rest of their deals, just saying. Yeah, right, right. So they I, probably yeah. don't want to piss them off. Yeah, possibly. I, I don't think we'll have to worry about that, though, because I'm pretty sure Johnny Gaudreau is going to be gone. Johnny go, bu- Johnny Be Gone? Is that... Uh, is that uh, <laughs> Johnny Be Gone. Johnny yeah, be gone. That, that, right. that, would be, that would be a Calgary Sun headline for sure. Go, go Johnny Go. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, oh, I, I think... <laughs> stupid me. I forgot to mention the, the Kadri stuff when we were talking about the Blues obituary. Um, so, uh, so we did mention, like, the whole incident where Kadri, um, gets pushed by Callie Rosen, um, into Jordan Bennington, and then Bennington threw a water bottle at him, um, and, uh, yeah, this is the second time in this episode that I'm gonna say bad news, that's not surprising at all, um, that, uh, he started getting, um, it was revealed that Kadri was getting death threats uh from our uh, his his wife like said it in his instagram and I, I i don't think he has social media but um yeah his wife uh, put on his instagram account of like all the hateful th- comments that um that kadri had been getting 
Um, and yeah, and subsequently he scores the hat trick. I think we did mention that he gets a hat trick uh, in the next game. So um, yeah, it's just just to let you guys know, it's never cool to uh, have death threats or say racial slurs to anything. If that that needs to be said, I hate that that needs to be said. But yeah, death threats. It's never cool to to do that, especially since. That whole incident wasn't even his fault. <laughs> it's just that's that's even crazy. That's the crazier part. It's just like St. Louis Blues fans are just insane. I guess that they like like if you like any look at that replay, you're like, oh right, yeah, Kadri wasn't that wasn't Kadri's fault. It's just uh, Bennington overreacted. But I don't know. Um, it's crazy. Um, it's not surprising though, um, but because uh, that's just how the world works. Um, but, um, or how America works, I should say, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's, yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's just, um, unfortunate. I feel bad for the genuine St. Louis Blues fans that wanted nothing to do with this beef yep. and that actually don't have anything against Nazem Kadri, and they made the wise decision to not resort to name calling and, uh, even worse stuff, like after the Uvalde shooting in Texas, where elementary school students were shot, um, I believe that that was the really the tip of the iceberg when it comes to what the actual hell are you even tweeting or googling? Um, what, that's that's tied to this whole thing. If you saw it on Twitter, I'm sorry you had to see that, but man, that it makes you want to throw up when you when you see comments like that just make the rounds on social yeah. media it's it's oh man yeah and, and I, I, if, if i had to if i had to guess if there was a beat between a player and a fan base i would have to guess maybe it was like either the flames fans versus an oilers player or the other way around right. in the second round i didn't think it would be nazim kadri versus the st louis yeah. fan base yet here we are and, you know, there are real gems like Layla Anderson that love the Blues, love cheering for the Blues, respect the Blues players, but they don't go after other people's players. And or their just, ethnicity, just the, yeah. Just the way that this whole situation reacted after a goalie collision was just childish and just, like, very overblown. It's, it, like, Nassim Kadri with the reputation he has could just breathe on somebody and everyone would just yep. freak out. Like, yep. it's, it's just stupid. I think it's it's also I think it's crazy too because if Nazem Kadri wasn't was white I I mean he he may have eventually gotten some death threats but um, I think it's it's enhanced even further just because he's a Muslim person. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think there there's a bit of added vitriol to right. that, which is which is unfortunate, yep. and it it shows that we have a lot more to do as yep. hockey fans, hockey players, as people like. Yep. Who, who freaking cares what your background is? Yep. I, I, I care on the quality of person that you are. If you're a great person, I don't care what your background is, I'll hang out with you. <laughs> I, I won't hang out with people that are absolute dicks. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's simple as that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's um, it's definitely, um, right, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate, and yeah. Um, and, and, like, I, I will say Nassim Kadri sometimes crosses the line with his play. Right. He's a good hockey player, and no one should be attacked on social media. No, no. Like, I didn't even like Matt Cook and the stuff that he does half the time. But at the same time, he's a person. He's like me. 
you know, we have family we have to look after, we have food to put on the table, we have lives to live. No one has to, no one should have to deal with anything like that. It's, it's ridiculous. Yep. Um, okay. Uh, so, so on that note, um, we have a fun little series here. Uh, once, um, once Connor McDavid showed up and, um, and then, uh, and then I started to realize that, like, oh, we could get a Colorado Avalanche Edmonton Oilers uh, Western Conference Final. I was just, like, that was all I was thinking about. But then it took me back to last year when I was, like, I really wanted an Austin Matthews Connor McDavid matchup, and we got neither teams in the next round. So I was just thinking, like, okay, like, just, like, we, we just can't have nice things. And um, it looks like I was wrong. And I'm so glad I'm wrong. We're gonna get some nice things. Uh, where it's called the the Ryan Smith series, aka the, the Return of the Mac series, which yeah. is or the Mick Mac Patty Whack Give a Dog a Bone series. Because um, uh, yeah, I was also thinking about this too. Because uh, Macar um, also has uh, a play on the M A C K. Uh, abbreviation too, so that, that means three of the four best players in the series have uh, some variation of Mac in in their name in their last name, which is um, which is pretty cool. Um, or like I don't I don't know it's uh, or not pretty cool, but it's just like a, a funny little thing. Um, McDavid versus Goliath is also pretty cool. Just putting that out there. McDavid versus Goliath. Uh, yeah, I guess that is a good one because like, Colorado's yeah. heavily favored. It makes right, sense. Right, 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 right. Um, so I I will say what's um, oh I should have pulled up their stats here, but I'll I'll do that now. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, Kale McCarr was kind of quiet um, in the past round, uh, and so was like a lot of the Colorado Avalanche players. They were a little bit quiet quieter in the last round but um but like even still like Nathan McKinnon has uh 13 points in 10 games Makar has 13 points in 10 games uh Rantanen has 11 Landeskog has 11 Kadri as I mentioned who had a hat trick uh, he has 10 points in 10 games so they're still doing pretty well um the concern though is with their goaltending situation uh, Kemper kind of went back to earth a little bit, although you could argue that he was never really out of earth <laughs> to begin with. But um, but yeah, he uh, he he wasn't he wasn't that good, um, and he was a big reason why St. Louis was even a series in, for St. Louis. Um, but uh, but even still, like he had a sa- he has a save percentage of nine oh four um, and a two point four four GAA. Um, he, uh, he was actually taken out in, or no, uh, was he taken out? No, he wasn't taken out in, uh, game five, um, but, uh, where he just gave up, uh, but he did give up, uh, three unanswered late. Well, uh, of course I have, there's an ad here. Um, so, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely, um, it's uh, not not great, um, and then um, Pavel Francouz, who's only played in two of these games, um, hasn't fared any better, um, or he's been worse. He has a 902 save percentage and a 2.97 GAA. 
Um, so that's not great. Um, on the Both other of those games, by the way, were against the National Predators team, just right. barely trying to survive without UC Saros and Ned, just yep. so you know. Um, on the other hand, uh, we'll, we'll get to Edmonton. We did talk about McDavid and Dreisaitl being unreal, um, but I do want to mention that uh, Mike Smith actually hasn't been too bad, uh, surprisingly. Uh, he has a 927 save percentage and a 2.7 GAA. Um, and then in terms of other players that have kind of shown up, uh, Vander Kane, uh, he had a hat-trick in uh, the Battle of Alberta. He's kind of been the the third wheel on the third line, but or on that on that top line with Drysaddle and McDavid, um, and 15 points in 12 games. It's just like, oh, who knew that Evander Kane and Drysaddle and McDavid were were gonna be the real deal? Um, so so that like if like you know what was crazy is that this is the first time that they've been aligned. Um, they they haven't been aligned in the in the entire regular season, and it's just like oh of course like if you if you put in this guy event you say what you want about him off of the ice and yeah he's he's definitely a bad guy, um, but of course like we all knew that he was going to be a good player or he still is a good player, um, so it's just like yeah when you pair him with McDavid and Drysdale, of course things are gonna gonna work for him. Um, and then you have uh, Zach Hyman, who's been pretty good, 12 points in 12 games. Ryan Nugent-Hopkins has 11 points. Um, Evan Bouchard has shown up to um, 8 points in 12 games. Um, and, yeah, so those are kind of like the main guys who have shown up. But, but of course, let's, let's be real. It's really just the McDavid and Dreisaitl show. 26 points in 12 games for both of them. Uh, they also both have seven goals and 19 assists. They have virtually identical things. Um, and, yeah, I, I assume that will be um, as, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how much they are um, going to, um, you know, how much they're going to be affected by this series, especially since they're going to be playing a, a shaky goaltender in Darcy Kemper or Pavel Francis. So... Um, yeah, this will be the time to see how good their goaltending is. Um, it was funny. I don't know if you mentioned, if you remember this, Steve, but when we were predicting for the second round, I said uh, you said that Cal- you had Calgary in seven, um, and I said like I hear what you were saying, um, but I'm gonna pick Edmonton because you can never count out McDavid and Drysital, um, and um, and I was right. But I, I also picked Edmonton in seven, so I thought Calgary would put up even more of a fight. I didn't realize they were going to win in five games. Um, but it was an incredible series um, and all that stuff. But in terms of predictions, um, I don't know. I, I think, I think yeah, I, I think this will continue. I'm going to ride the hot hand. I think the Oilers are the hotter team. I guess it wouldn't shock me if Colorado wins, but... Um, as I just mentioned, I, I feel like um, Darcy, Kem- like just the fact that Darcy Kemper isn't as good as, or like has, something's going on with Darcy Kemper, um, and you just can't have that. You have to be perfect um, when you're facing J- Connor McDavid and Drysaddle, and um, and I don't have faith in that. So, however, I think McKinnon will probably you know win a, a series for them or. Uh, Makar will will probably show up again. 
So, so I, I do think it will be a tight series, but I'm going to say the Oilers in seven. Oilers in seven. I'm, I'm sure Gary Bettman's very pleased you want this to go seven because that would be great for his uh, well, revenue stream. Yeah, I do want I do want them to go seven. I, I'm mostly saying that just because I wouldn't be shocked if Colorado um, proves me wrong. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'm going with Oilers in seven. Well, those Edmonton Oilers have a goal differential of plus 15 throughout uh, two rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and they're 8-4 and four in uh, those series, winning in seven and winning in five, respectively. Now, here's the one thing that stuns me about Connor McDavid. It's not the fact that he has 26 points in 12 games, although that is pretty absurd. He's a plus 19. Yeah. He has a better plus and minus than his team. His team without without Connor McDavid, the Oilers would have, I think, a goal differential of negative four, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Over twelve games, he has a higher plus minus and the equal amount of plus minus as he does assists. Like nothing makes sense with this kid. Nothing makes sense when Connor McDavid does a thing. It's always this extravagant yep. spectacle. This is why I didn't feel that it was the Oilers' time this year. This is why I didn't think McDavid and the Oilers were going around. It's not because that McDavid isn't good. He's great. He's fantastic. He's the best thing since sliced bread for crying out loud. But in the big situations, the Oilers couldn't get it done, and McDavid couldn't get it done. And you know what? He showed up in Game 6 against the Kings, do-or-die game. Oilers lose that. They go home. They win it. They go home to play Game 7, and they win 2 nothing. Who gets the goal off an incredible effort to seal the deal? Connor McDavid, number 97 of the Edmonton Oilers. He doesn't get a single point in that 4-4 game against Calgary until overtime when, shocker, he gets a series winner in overtime. Connor McDavid, in those big moments, has elevated his game and I, I can't even put my finger on it, but there's just something about Connor McDavid, uh, something about Connor McDavid in these playoffs that makes me think about him differently. Great player, amazing skill sets, and I think a future leader in this league. But the results, when it matters, just haven't been there in the playoffs. They haven't been there, and he's slowly changing that with every single series he plays. I don't know where the Edmonton Oilers are without Leon Draisaitl or Connor McDavid. But with 26 points and 12 games apiece, I don't know if they're in this position right now. And granted, guys like Zach Hyman have finished. Guys like, um, who else? Evander Kane with 12 goals in 12 games. They've lived up to their end of the bargain. But they're finishing plays made by McDavid and Drysdale. They're stirring the drink. The one con that I have against the Oilers is Mike Smith. If Colorado gets to Mike Smith, just like the Oilers could get to Darcy Kemper, the Avalanche could always turn to Pavel Francis. Maybe he's able to steal the show and make some big saves. If you're going to Miko Koskinen against the Colorado Avalanche, oh boy, oh boy, are you in for a treat. And by a treat, I mean an ounce of diarrhea. It's not going to be good if the Avs get to Mike Smith. Plain and simple. The Oilers cannot afford to have the Avs run that run-and-gun offense 
because with their depth, they're not going to stop. Like, you have guys like Nazem Kadri and Andre Burakovsky yep. as depth guys. Not number one guys, depth guys. Their power play can actually score. They have freaking Nathan McKinnon, who's at worst on par with Connor McDavid in terms of talent, in terms of things that he can do, and then rushes. He can do that just like Connor McDavid. They also have a leader in Gabriel Landeskog that can finish plays. They have a playmaker like Miko Rantanen on their team. They can counter whatever Edmonton throws at them. And for whatever reason, Calgary couldn't do that. And on top of that, you also have a defense core that can contain guys. You have guys like Eric Johnson in the mix. You have guys like Sam Girard in the mix. You have Devon Taves who can be a fairly good shutdown defenseman but can also play like he's Kale McCarr. You have Kale McCarr who plays like Kale McCarr. Oh, and by the way, they also have Josh Manson who they got from the Anaheim Ducks who low-key has put up some good numbers but is a shutdown defenseman. Something that Edmonton hasn't really had for these playoffs. The defensive depth on Colorado is just that good. So if they get to Darcy Kemper, they might get three or four goals. But if Colorado can score five, Oilers are still losing that game. Yeah. So with that being said, I hope it's an entertaining series. And I hope it goes seven. And I wouldn't be upset or surprised if the Oilers won this thing. Okay, maybe a little surprise. But I'm picking the absent seven here. I think they are the better yeah. team, and they are going to the Stanley Cup Finals. And either way, Gary Bettman wins. Yeah, you yeah. got Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid in the Stanley Cup Finals. you got a money-making sure. scenario right there. Yeah. What's unfortunate, though, is that this series is going to go on against the NBA Finals. So in the States, we will, yeah. um, <laughs> the ratings True. won't be great. But... This is yeah. It's it's going to be exciting. Whoever uh, whoever comes out on top, I just hope it's um, that's just another thing. Where I was just thinking like, oh, oh uh, what if the Celtics are in uh, the NBA Finals and I'm going to have to watch uh, like uh, <laughs> this series on my iPad and that's just not going to be fun. Uh, but uh, by the way, it yeah. should be noted that uh, McDavid and Drysdale both have 26 points, 10 clear of Mika Zibanejad, wow. who sits third with 16 points. Yeah, that's crazy. 16 points in 13 games apparently pales in comparison when you have gods like McDavid. Yeah, and <laughs> right, right. I know. Um, all right. Uh, so now that that's a good segue because we're going to the Eastern Conference now. Um, and uh, we're going to start off with the Panthers obituary. Um, the, uh, they actually have quite a few free agents, um, in the off season. Uh, but yeah, they, they ended up getting swept by Tampa. Um, and I don't even really know what you do, um, here because, um, like I, I would like the classic response or like before this series started, I would think like, okay, if the Panthers are going to be out in the second round, um, it's probably going to be because Sergei Bobrovsky did not do so hot. But I don't think it was all on Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, no. He uh, he actually, I mean, like, when you pull up his stats, it's it's like, you know, he, he didn't, um, it wasn't like um, they were, like, crazy good or crazy bad. But, um, yeah, it's just 9-11 save percentage and a GAA of 2.7. Um, and yeah, of course, like that's not a ten million 
that's not what you want out of a 10 million goaltender. But it's like it's decent, and and I think the 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 true reason why Florida uh, lost in four games, um, they only had three goals in this entire series, um, and uh, yeah, I had, I had convinced myself that like Barkov was maybe injured or Huberdo was injured or Ekblad was injured, um, but none of, that wasn't the case. I didn't hear anything uh, unless maybe you did. You hear anything? Steve, um, but... Uh, On no. the injury front, um, no. I would have to look deeper yeah. into that, but I don't think I heard anything on the injury But that, that was, like, that, that was really the the big reason why Florida didn't do anything is just because Barkov and Huberdo, which had been, like, your your big guns the entire um, offseason, or, sorry, the entire regular season, they, uh, they just didn't score at all. Um, and they you were... You know also alarming, Brett? They went one for thirty-one on the power play yeah, that was across also crazy those too. two rounds of the yeah. playoffs, and the only power play goal they scored was their only goal yeah. in Game Three, which they needed to win badly. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I know that, uh, and yeah, you can you can talk about how good Vasilevsky is, um, has been. Uh, he's like he suddenly realized that he's an elite goaltender, um, even though he kind of had a an iffy regular season, but, like, yeah, he has a 932 save percentage and a GAA of 2.23, so it's like, okay, he, he's, he's, he's locked in and all that stuff. Um, and I know that there, there's, um, I've, I've been seeing everywhere that, like, people are now comparing him to, like, the Hasek, the Patrick Waz, and the um, Marty Brodeurs of the world, which I, I can see, um, but, um, and, of course, either way, he's, like, a Vasilevsky versus uh, McKinnon and the Avs, or a Vasilevsky versus Dreisaitl and McDavid. Um, that's going to be a fun series if, you know, of course, if Tampa and the Tampa makes it that far, which which I guess could happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of um, insane. But on the other hand, like, like yeah, I like it, it's so crazy that like the the Florida Panthers were so good in the regular season, um, and and because of their depth, you know, you have guys like like when when um, Sam Reinhardt's on your third line, that's when you know you have good depth, and um, yeah, just none of the guys showed up. So uh, it was just more. I was more frustrated that like because we've seen time and time again where. The Florida Panthers um, come back from behind, um, and they like you know. Um, however, like you know, those te- the teams that they came back from were like the New Jersey Devils or the Detroit Red Wings, bad teams. Um, and I guess that's just what happens when uh, you face a good team in the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are just locked in. Um, what I thought was also incredible was the last time the Panthers were shut out was last year's playoffs against Andre Vasilevsky <laughs> and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I guess that's the other crazy thing too is Vasilevsky shut every time there's an elimination process for the other team, whenever Vasilevsky has a chance to eliminate another team, he's going to shut them out. Um, Except for the Toronto Maple Leafs when they... That's right. When he only gave up one goal, it could have been yep. two, but it was only rolled that, that is right. I forgot about that. But yes, but usually, usually he, uh, he shuts usually, them out. Usually, yeah. outside of that one occasion, yeah. it's GG. Yeah, so it's... it's uh, So, 
part of it is just how good Vasilevsky has been right now, but, um, but yeah, it's just the other part is just like Florida just didn't show up at all. Um, in terms of, sorry, I'm gonna, I just went on that rant here. Uh, let's see, their, their free agent list, um, Nolachari, Claude Giroux, um, Maxime Bamman, Mason Marchment, Joe Thornton, UFAs, uh, Ben Chiriot, uh, Robert Haig, and Pateri Lindblom on the defensive side of things. In terms of RFAs, you have Ichu Lewis, Lutz, Lou Starian. Ichu Lewis, uh, Ichu Lewis Darinan. Okay, thanks. Or thanks Okay, and then Lucas Carlson as the other RFA. Oh, you also have Marcus Nutavera um, uh, as UFA. I'm probably butchered all these all these names. Um, I'd imagine that Joe Thornton. This is probably the last we'll see of Joe yeah. Thornton. Um, unfortunately, um, it's weird though that like I, I think he was like he mentioned in the post game that like yeah he thought that we were they were the better team or we were the better team. Um, and then he said the same thing last year when he was on Toronto. So it's just like, you know, it's sad that he's not going to get the cup. Um, but, uh, but like, it's, um, yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it once he officially retires. I don't think he has, but I'd imagine he'll probably retire. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's interesting that he just has these choices on, on teams and it's just like, they can never get it done. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, and Claude Giroux, I'd imagine he'll probably go to another team. Um, but uh, but yeah, maybe maybe he'll just, he likes it there and he'll stay. But who knows? Um, the other one that I wanted to mention uh, before I bring it to you is Ben Chiriot. Um, I, I think that I saw the statistic that like. Um, that like when Chiriot joined the team, the Panthers got worse uh, defensively, um, and even when Aaron Ekblad was back and returned, uh, he uh, like he like his defensive numbers were so bad that it just didn't work, um, which is kind of crazy too when you think about it because they gave up a first round pick for him, and uh, yeah, it just didn't end up working, and he was like one of the worst trade deadline acquisitions. So yeah, I don't I don't know what they do with uh, Ben Chiriot, but um but yeah it's it's uh or Shiraj I should say. Um but but yeah it's it's interesting that he uh he just wasn't good. This is the price of going all in when it doesn't work. The Florida Panthers do not have a first in this year's draft or a second in this year's draft. Next year, 2023, they don't have a first or a third. And in 2024, they don't have a first or a second. And if that selection is top 10 protected, on the off chance, you know, they're bad, um, they bump that first down to 2025. Yep. They mortgaged a huge chunk of their future. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, Tampa gave up a lot in their cup final runs or, and in their previous uh, Stanley Cup pursuits that didn't work out so well. And true, they, they, they had to part with some pieces. But you know what Tampa Bay had? Pieces to part with. Right, right. <laughs> the Florida Panthers have used up their ammo 
on this playoff run that resulted in a 1-for-31 success rate on the power play. Yep. With all of that depth, with a bargain Jonathan Huberto, with a bargain Alexander Barkov in the mix. Bargains everywhere on that roster, right? What happens next year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that? Their prospect pool isn't as good as Tampa's, which is another thing Tampa had going for them. They had guys just... Just out of nowhere, you know, yeah, Ross Colton, sure. He'll probably be useful for us uh, when we're about to win a stand cup. Oh, he just scored the cup winner. Fantastic. (laughs) Yeah. Tampa was in a better position to succeed than Florida because they still had resources after they went all in and believed in their group and believed they could win a Stanley Cup, and they actually did the thing. And they still have resources now. The Florida Panthers... They used up a lot of the resources on this one run that never came to be, and they might have screwed the pooch down the road because now you've got the Barkov cap kicking in. You have four more years of Sergei Bobrovsky at $10 million, which, again, he wasn't the problem, but he's 33 now, and holy up, that's going to count against the cap for a while. You also have uh, three more years of Aaron Ekblad, $7.5 million, worth the price tag, unfortunately, injury-prone at times. Uh, but it's still serviceable part. But again, in three years, you're going to have to re-sign him. You have Mackenzie Weger, one year left at $3.25 million. Then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. At the rate he's going, he could price himself out of Florida, unfortunately. I don't think they keep Sherrod. I think they like to keep Robert Hag. They probably won't because of the cap reasons. Uh, let's see. Um, Mason Marchment, hopefully they can keep him on a bargain, but... I have a feeling a lot of teams would be willing to pay him more than what Florida would be willing to with those luxurious depth numbers. Claude Giroux, I think if they can get a team-friendly deal done, I think he stays. But I'd be careful the money I sign him to, similar to Johnny Gaudreau in Calgary and similar to David Perron in St. Louis, and here's why. You have bargain contracts like Anthony Duclair, Carter Verhage, and Sam Bennett for the next two to three years. And yes, you do have Patrick Hornquist coming off the books after next season at $5.3 million. That'll help. The problem? Jonathan Huberto is an unrestricted free agent in 2023. Yeah. He currently makes $5.9 million. He's probably going to be asking for Alex Barkov money, which is $10 million. And so he should, because like John, uh, like uh, someone named Johnny Gaudreau, he had a 110-plus point season, 115 to be exact, in 80 games. Granted, he only scored 30 goals, but he got 85 assists. And you can say, well, he didn't uh, emerge in the playoffs like he did last year. He still got 115 points. Nikita Kucherov had an MVP-worthy season in a year where Tampa got swept by Columbus, and he still got his bag. Jonathan Huberdeau's going to get his bag, too. Yep. So once we get out of next year, they're going to be even more cash-strapped, and they're already cash-strapped now. And they, like I said, used up a lot of their resources for this playoff run that didn't really materialize into anything so yeah uh, there there are going to be some big decisions to make and spoiler alert tampa's still going to be good toronto's going to find a way to still be good 
you never know what happens with Boston. They could be in the mix. And, yeah, the rest of the Atlantic Division, you don't know what you're going to get. But even still, you're looking at a Florida team that's not going to be nearly as good as they were this year. They're going to be just like Calgary. And they're going to have a lot of decisions to make, but that's okay. Because after this tough defeat against Tampa Bay, while they might have thought they had the better team, they didn't have a nearly good enough team to win the Stanley Cup. And this team barely beat Washington. If they go up against the Toronto Maple Leafs, I'm not convinced they win that series either, the way Toronto was playing. So, yeah, the... I don't care what kind of team Florida constructs. As long as they get to the playoffs and go deep in the playoffs, I could care less. Yeah, I think it's getting to that point. I mean, I know that this is their first year of, like, being really good. But, um, but yeah, at the same time, it's, like, uh, I don't know what, what to make of this team. Um, it's interesting, too, because uh, uh, during this whole series, I didn't, like, I was inundated from ESPN on, like, their playoff history. Uh, they hadn't won a playoff series since 1996. That was the famous rat year where fans would throw stuffed rats every time they would win a game. Um, and then they would... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's the only playoff yeah. appearance to date in which they won at least a playoff yeah. series. Because that was their first playoff appearance yeah, ever. Yeah, that was their first playoff appearance ever. But, like, what was, I didn't even realize this, but they, or I guess maybe I should have, but, because then, like, that was just, like, before, like, just, just before I started paying attention to hockey, um, I was five at the time, so give me a break, um, but, uh, but the, the series win against the Capitals, that was their first playoff win, um, since, since 1996. Uh, so so that that's incredible. Um, and I, I went looking once you were talking that, yeah, they don't have their 2022nd first-round pick that because of the, the Sam Reinhardt trade. So Buffalo has that, uh, which I guess isn't a huge deal because that's like the 28th overall pick. Um, but, of course, that's still bad. Uh, then um, in 2022, or t- sorry, 2023, uh, they gave away their first round pick to the Montreal Canadiens for Ben Chirot, um, which was a mistake. <laughs> I, I, I'm like looking at this now. It's like, uh, like why didn't we uh, roast Florida even further than this? Like this is. I, I think we knew that Montreal won this trade, but like it's insane that they uh, Montreal got a first round pick, a fourth round pick, and uh, Ty Smilanic. Um, who's a uh, prospect um, that they gave up? So like a lot for for uh, Ben Chirot, who who wasn't even that good um, uh, in his time in Florida. And then they don't even have their 2024 first round pick because of Claude because uh, that's what they gave to Flor- uh, Philadelphia um, for Claude Giroux um, in 2024. So like in this case, you're right. It's like Florida has to be good in these next three years, um, or yeah, next two years, I guess, at least, because uh, Philadelphia might make off like bandits, or Montreal might make off like bandits if Florida um, isn't too careful. Um, I mean, I. Also, I, yeah. also to, to add to an asterisk, sorry for interrupting, Brett. It's fine. Um, there was a trade 
with the <laughs> with the Arizona Coyotes. Remember this, July 26, twenty twenty one. Florida gets a 2023 7th round pick from the Arizona Coyotes. So the Arizona Coyotes could take a 2nd round pick in 2024 along with a prospect and Antron Strollman's cap nightmare. Right. They gave up a 2nd round pick just so Anton Strollman could leave. Oh yeah, I do vaguely remember that. But yeah, we didn't even really talk about that yeah. at the time. So, that, so they're yeah. maybe... Like the second one of their second round picks that they gave up wasn't for like a meaningful player on the team they were right. trading it to. Yeah, it's yeah. just like please take this player off our hands. Thank you very much. Yeah, right, right. They don't even have their second. Well, okay, I was gonna say they don't have their second round pick this year, but um, as well. But that's that was the Sam Bennett one. But like the Sam yeah. Reinhardt and the Sam Bennett trades, like I guess those those, yeah, those were like, worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. And Claude Giroux, I can understand too, but like Ben Chirot, like what what are you doing? <laughs> um, and then um, the yeah, so so it's like I mean yeah, they they probably will still be good. Um, I don't like you know as long as you have Barkov and Huberdo and Ekblad, you know they have a, they still have a good uh, core going that I I don't see them like like making like an Ottawa Senators type fall. But no, no. It, yeah. uh, having said that, I like I wouldn't be shocked. It's like we've seen crazier things, um, so it's it's very possible. Like you were mentioning, it's like okay, yeah, Huberdo is going to want to get paid. That's probably going to affect the team. So um, it's very possible. Yeah, I, I just think their window to win uh, with the depth guys that they yeah. have is shrinking faster than even I think any of us could have right. uh, predicted, like faster than we first imagined, just because of the future assets that they gave up all at once for right. this playoff. Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of what uh, Columbus did um, a yeah. few um, when they, but like that that made sense. It's like Panarin was going to be gone. Because they knew they were going to lose people. Yeah. yeah. They knew but Panarin they're, they're was going to be gone. They knew Bob Rowski was going to leave. Yeah. yeah. They they picked up Duchesne knowing that he was going to leave as well. So, yeah, yeah they, they knew what was going to happen. But this is different because it's just like they were trying to, like, they didn't have to do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, maybe, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, all right. Uh, so it's, it's kind of tough to do, um, like, a series preview because the next time we'll talk, uh, the Eastern Conference Final will be set. Uh, there's a Game 7 coming up for the Rangers and the Canes. Um, and, yeah, this has been an interesting series. It's, it's kind of been boring compared to all the other ones, but uh, it still has been kind of interesting, too. Um, mostly just because um, it's, it's all it's all they talk about, really, is that Carolina has not won on the road yet in this playoffs, and they've won all their home games. Um, yeah. They are, um, it's incredible uh, when you really think about it, because it's just like, and it, it's kind of a, a little bit unusual just because it's like Carolina has been a pretty good regular season team. Um, so you would think like if you're going to be a good team, you would think that you could win on the road, um, but they haven't managed to do that. Um, I know the Rangers are a good team and, and all that stuff, but um, but yeah, it's, it's just insane that uh, that like this is like a factor. Um, that's another thing. If if fans are 
listening in, could you let us know if this has ever happened before? Has there ever been a Stanley Cup team that's won all their home games and lost all the road games? I, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and, and even still, like, okay, so when they, if let's say Carolina wins their home game on Monday, um, they will play uh, Tampa where they get home ice advantage. Yeah. And then they have to hope that the Edmonton Oilers win uh, their conference or their thing. Um, and then you get, uh, because, but then like if Colorado wins, I think Colorado has the advantage over Carolina. So uh, they have to hope that Edmonton <laughs> can uh, beat out Colorado just so that they can get home ice advantage um, in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, and I, I guess it could happen. It would just be very, very funny if, like, <laughs> they they can they can't win on the road and they only win on the home. They're just beastly on the on home. Um, the other thing that's interesting too is uh, even though Anti Ranta hasn't been terrible, uh, he was taken out um, last last game in Game Six, um, and then Kochekov was playing. It seems like Freddie Anderson might be ready to play, um, but I, I think that's a little bit risky uh, to do now. But yeah, maybe if like Ranta isn't um, uh, has another bad game again, then maybe you have to put in uh, Freddie Anderson to save your season. But we'll if see. he has one more bad game and the Rangers win, it doesn't yep. matter if it's at home. That sinks their season. No, no, I, I meant, I, yeah. When I say bad game, I meant like a bad period or something. But right, yeah. yeah. Um, sure. I, I misspoke there. You're right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, even still, Ranta has a 9.24 save percentage and a GAA of 2.2. Um, yeah. and then um, in terms of the forwards. Um, I've been impressed by Vincent Trocek. He has uh, nine points in 13 games. Um, but that's just... Uh, I don't know if that's... Uh, let's see. Oh, I, I just figured out how to, to adjust for the series. Uh, Sebastian Ajo has the most points uh, on Carolina with five points in six games. Um, and then you have Tavo Teravainen who has four points in six games. Brendan Smith has three points in six games. But yeah, that it's not like crazy or anything. Um, and then on the New York Rangers side, um, let's see if I can do this here. You you mentioned that um, Mika Zibanejad has sixteen points. He has five points in six games um, in this series, uh, but he's not the leading scorer for the Rangers, and that that goes to Adam Fox, who has six points. Um, in this series, uh, you also have Andrew Kopp, who has three, Panarin, and Philip Hedl. Uh He's shown up uh, finally, <clears throat> and they they all have three points. Um, and yeah, the, those are the only ones of note. Um, and then on the goaltending side of things, um, yeah, Shesterkin has been pretty good. Uh, 949 save percentage and a 1.68 GAA. Uh, that's that's um, so that that's a pretty good average. Um, that's just against Carolina, um, of course. Uh, but um, but yeah, overall he has a 9.26 save percentage and a 2.74 um, in this postseason. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I 
It depends on how much I actually believe in this, like, Carolina always wins the home game type thing. <laughs> I, I, I still, like, I feel like the Rangers have been the better team in this series. But, like, at the same time, Carolina shouldn't be underestimated. So, I'm going to say, uh, I'm just going to go with my gut. I'm going to say that the Rangers are going to win this, this series. So mine, mine's going to be a two-part answer. What I want to see and what what I think is going to happen. What I think is going to happen is that the Hurricanes are going to win. They're the better all-around team. Anti-Ranta antics began to game six. He didn't look his best, but he still has pretty good numbers. He can still get the job done. And Carolina, in front of its home fans, don't know what it is, but they can't be stopped. Um, so I do think Carolina wins. Let's not forget. Let's not forget, by the way, just looking at some of Carolina's stats, in these playoffs, Andre Sveshnikov is supposed to be probably one of the top scorers. He has four goals and five points in 13 games. You look at names ahead of him, like Thibaut Teravainen with 11 points in 13 games, Sebastian Ajo, that's expected. But Vinny Trocek, like you said, has been good. Uh, Tony D'Angelo, personality, don't like him, but... Putting up nine points in 13 games, offensively held his end of the bargain. Seth Jarvis, a rookie, by the way, a rookie, eight points in 13 yeah, games, so he's picked up the slack. Um, old reliable Jacob Slavin on the back end has eight points in 13 games, also a plus nine. You have a lot of guys picking up the slack, and I feel like in terms of managing momentum better, I think if, if, the, if the Hurricanes drop first blood, and prevent the Rangers from playing their game, which I think they've done a relatively decent job of doing throughout the series. I think it, at the end of the day, the Rangers are just going to run out of time and Carolina's going to get that W when it matters. Now, in terms of matchups that I would like to watch, which would you like to watch? A balanced Hurricanes team that has the talent to blow you away, but they play the right structured team game and they're probably not going to wow you with a couple of individual talents just because the way they play is so structured. Or do you just want to see Artemi Panarin and Nikita Kucherov trading barbs and a goalie duel between yep. two of the greats in the NHL right now and Igor Shashurkin and Andre Vasilevsky? Because I'll tell you, I'm taking the super sexy matchup every single day of the week. And yep. so would Gary Bettman. Like, imagine Rangers, Lightning, Two-time defending cup champs against the high-powered Rangers. We're in a playoff team the past couple of years. They're on one heck of a run right now. Won a pair of game sevens to get here. And then in the West, you've got McDavid versus McKinnon. What more could you ask for as a hockey and a, like And that? a New York market at that, huge. too. And a yeah, New York market. New York market, too. Like, yeah. man. Like, you're set. If you're the NHL, you're set if the Rangers win. Yep. So, the hockey fan in me wants the Rangers, but I think ultimately the Hurricanes will prevail. Yep. Um, but the Rangers, if they make it this far, they it's not a fluke. They deserve to be here. They've, yep. They've played well. They've battled adversity, yes. They haven't looked good at times, but they've shown amount, the, the right amount of resolve where they belong in this position. Yeah. They've... They deserve to make it to this game seven to have a chance to go to the conference finals. Yeah, it's it's weird. I I feel like the like I I kind of predicted that the Rangers would be very good this year, um, so I'm happy that I called that. But uh, I I still feel like it's it's kind of insane to think about it because they're like you know they're kind of ahead of schedule in a way. 
Um, so, um, so yeah, it would be crazy if they could make it to the conference finals. But, um, but yeah, as for what you were saying, I, I am rooting for the Rangers. Um, but, uh, but I do, I will say that I think Carolina has the better chance of beating Tampa than the Rangers do. Um, so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, fair enough. The, uh, all right, the, um, uh, so we, we, we do have these last two questions for, uh, this just because we won't, uh, we, you know, by the next time we see each other, uh, or we talk, we talk again, or this episode, the uh, next episode comes out, uh, the Eastern Conference Final will be already played, so we're just going to do predictions if uh, either team wins. So, what's your prediction if the Canes Lightning play, um, aka the Natural Disaster Series, aka the Corey Stillman Series, aka technically the Tony D'Angelo Series? I don't know if you remember this, but Tony D'Angelo was drafted by the Lightning, even though he never played for them or even the AHL. Um, I prefer Curtis McElhaney over Tony D'Angelo, but sure, we'll go okay. Tony D'Angelo. Yeah, I, 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 Curtis. Oh yeah, I guess he did play for for both teams. Yeah, twenty nineteen yeah. Hurricanes. You yeah, yeah. never forget McElhaney was was one of the guys there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. But um, but yeah, anyways, I, I kind of like the natural disaster series, um, and yeah. I guess a classic south southeast series as well. Um, but. Um, yeah, so so uh, what's your prediction if it's uh, Kane's Lightning? Um, man, it's so tough. I I think it goes seven games either way. Just should I, well, just just because I think Carolina is a team that is likely to learn from previous failures. And I think they did learn a lot from the Lightning loss, and we'll soon find out if they did. Um, but the Lightning are well-rested. Carolina's played in three game sevens. or uh, This will be, sorry, second straight game seven. Braden Point will have time to heal and maybe potentially get back in the lineup for Tampa Bay, too, which could be huge if he's back at any percent. Even like 80 or 90% Braden Point, that would be a pretty good boost to the Tampa Bay Lightning if he gets his game going. So, I know I picked uh, <laughs> I know I picked the Hurricanes to go to the finals, yep. but the way Tampa Bay's been playing, I feel like they're awake, they're alive, and um, Bolts and Seven. Bolts and Seven, wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I think yeah. if uh, the Hurricanes play the Lightning, uh, Tampa yep. wins that. Yeah, as I mentioned... It'll be close, but uh, Tampa wins. As I mentioned, I think that... Um, although, like, as I just said, that, like, I think Carolina has the best chance to beat Tampa. And yeah. um, even though I, I would love to see the Rangers play Tampa. Um, but... Um, Having said that, yeah, I, I think I have to go with Tampa. I mean, I think that there is something to consider the fact that like Tampa hasn't played in a long while, so they have to like get back. You know, they have to get back from being rusty. But that's the thing with Tampa is they've been through this before. They're the most experienced team um, of 
the remaining teams. So um, in, when it comes to playoffs, um, so so yeah, I I I, th- I think I also have Tampa in seven. Um, in terms of uh, if it's the Rangers Lightning, there would be the there's a lot of overlap with the Rangers and the Lightning. Uh, but famously, Ryan Callahan and Ryan McDonough are the biggest ones. Um, I think there's a couple of other ones I'm just drawing. JT Miller? JT Miller's one, yeah. That's a good one. Um, St. Louis? Right, yeah, that's probably the biggest one. Uh, why did I miss that one? Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, uh, that, that would be the big one. Uh, t- Tony D'Angelo again. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Uh, Anyways, uh, what I, I, I'm going to say that it's going to be Tampa in six, um, even though that's not what I want. I, I feel like Tampa just knows what to do um, yeah. during this, and they ju- they're just locked in. And, like, you know, I feel like they kind of just, like, they realize, like, even though they didn't have as great of a regular season, they lost their entire third line um, from those Stanley Cup teams, but... They haven't missed a beat. Like Nick Nick Paul has been a great replacement for them. Ross Colton, as you mentioned, has been unreal. So it's just like, you know, they they're able to find these guys for for cheap. Um, Brandon Hagel hasn't been good, but um, but yeah, uh, like I wouldn't be shocked if we we see him a lot in the next series. It's just yeah. So I I think Tampa is locked in and. Um, and yeah, it will be fun to see if like Vasilevsky playing against McDavid or against McKinnon. That'll, that'll be fun. But I, I'm getting way too ahead of myself. I hope I'm wrong because I I don't love like I I think that's a thing right where like if a team gets too good, it's just you start to um, and you're not a fan of the team, you start to like hate them. It's just like I want to see another team uh, get the glory, but. I, I think in this case, I think Tampa knows what they're doing. So, yeah, I have Tampa in six. Yeah, I mean, like, if they actually pull off the 3 P, like, this is the closest thing to the Islanders dynasty that we've seen. Yep. I don't think any of us would ever think that would happen again. No. Like like you said about McDavid, like, you're witnessing history with Tampa yep. right now, yep. potentially. So we're just enjoy the ride. Yeah, we're, we're equally witnessing history with Vasilevsky. So, um, yeah. He he's he's on an unreal run uh, the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, so I would like to see it go seven. I think it goes six. And similar to you, Brett, I'm gonna pick Tampa in six, just because Tampa knows how to play with leads, play with structure. If you get the Rangers behind the eight ball and they're not playing their game, they're in a tough spot. If they're especially at the rate they're turning pucks over. It's alarming how many recorded giveaways they've had in that series with Carolina. And I mentioned, especially in games three and four, where it was 35 and 29 respectively, and they still found a way to win those games. Tampa's not going to be phased by those stat lines, and they can win any which way you want them to. So, yeah, Tampa and six. Okay. Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind the Rangers in the finals because of the potential revenue, the marketing you could yeah, generate there. But um, Tampa and six. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it would be cool to have like, I mean, it, it is kind of weird just <laughs> considering where Russia is right now. But uh, it would be cool to have Panarin, Kucherov, and Shosturkin and Vasilevsky just like the four best Russians in the game right now uh, playing against each other. 
a minus Ovechkin. I, I guess Ovechkin's still up there, but True. Um, but yeah, that would be kind of cool to see. Um, all right, um, that about does it here for us. You can follow us at uh, on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Um, our or sorry, Lace M Podcast. Um, our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can also you should also subscribe to us on wherever you're listening to this right now, um, whether it's SoundCloud iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Um, that's about it. I'm Brett Dubuff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 323 of the Lace Up Podcast.